Hello and welcome to Just a GP. I'm Rebecca Hoffman and today with me we have Ashley Broomfield and Annalise Crane. So I thought to start with I would get us underway with our highlight of the week. Excellent. I suppose I should go first then. Um, I've got a a personal highlight and a professional highlight. My personal highlight is that um, I, as of yesterday, I can do three full push-ups. And professionally, I've been trying to get a hospital department on the phone for three weeks um, where I was leaving messages and sending faxes. And finally, three people rang me back yesterday to try and arrange the appointment for the patient. So a little triumph there for the patient. Yeah, cool. Push-ups are way harder than they look. I have to admit, I can't even do one, and that's a cheating one. So doing three is a big achievement. Holly Inglis can do one, almost like one finger push-ups. Wow. <laughs> life goals, life goals. <laughs> and Ash? So am I allowed to have a, a personal highlight in the future? Of course. I guess we can kind of do whatever we want really, can't we? So my personal highlight of the weekend is... I'm meeting up with a friend of mine who I went to high school with, who was also my bridesmaid, and she lives up in Sunshine Coast, so lives a long way from where I am, and we don't often get to catch up. And my, me and my husband are meeting her, her husband and her little baby on North Stradbroke Island and having a long weekend up there, so I'm really looking up forward to that. That sounds really cool. That sounds lovely. And what about you, Beck? What's your highlight? Now I feel pressure to have a professional one and a personal one, so I'm just going to have to <laughs> My professional highlight is I'm very excited that I'm now on the board of directors for GPRA. Congratulations. That means that now all of a sudden I'm flying to Brisbane tomorrow to go to their AGM, which is particularly cool because in Brisbane lives my twin sister who I don't see particularly often so as a personal highlight of the week now I get to have dinner with my sister tomorrow which wasn't even a planned visit so that's pretty cool how exciting wasn't she gonna move she is, but it will be in January so it's now been slightly ah. delayed but still very exciting yeah and so Annalise I thought I might get you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you've come on to talk to us about this week. I finished medicine in the first cohort from the University of Notre Dame in 2011 and did my intern and residency at St Vincent's in Sydney, which I must say was very colourful and challenging at the same time. I was a PE teacher for 10 years before I did medicine and one of the reasons that I I left teaching was lots of paperwork and also just the sun exposure being outside teaching PE was pretty full on. And I also, I did some further study. I, I did an MPH at Sydney and met lots of lovely people who said, oh, if you want to do medicine, you should try it. It's really fun. It's not that hard. And silly me went along and, um, and did it. I was really sort of ambivalent about general practice despite having really fantastic role models throughout my university training and ironically my PBL tutor in first year was actually Charlotte. Charlotte was one of the first people I met at the University of Notre Dame and you know I spent a whole year in a room with her and sort of six or seven other people 
and we each had a turn to go and do a placement at her practice in Glebe and that was it was quite an eye-opening experience into how diverse general practice really was and it sort of surprised me at how much skill and intellect were required in in just one afternoon so I suppose that's got that's what got the uh, general practice sort of thing happening for me and then through other university placements like I was down near Werribee in Victoria and was attached to a a lovely GP who had sort of built up his own business and had really diverse patients uh, some that he he spoke to in his own language and he sort of gave the story of how he said I don't work Friday afternoons I play tennis on Friday afternoons and he said you know you've, you've got to do something for yourself in the week and at the time I'm like what do you mean you don't work five days a week how can you just shut the business and do whatever you want on Friday afternoons and you know he said that having that time to himself with his other friends was really important and that's what sort of sustained him and rejuvenated him to keep going we're here sort of to talk about mentors today I I'd have to say that I've, I've probably got about half a dozen different mentors and when I sort of reflect back now like when I was a student there were often lots of programs to try and match you up with someone or where I, I was involved with the with my rural health club and some of the initiatives there were to try and Uh, send you out on placements or electives with different rural GPs and I thought this is a fantastic idea but I often found that when you were matched to a mentor it didn't actually work out and it wasn't actually the same as if you found someone yourself and you sort of just had allowed the relationship to just sort of develop itself and I know like I've also been involved as a mentor to medical students and other people. And I've just found it really hard to sustain the connection and the relationship. So I suppose I'm a little bit negative about matched mentoring, but, you know, I'd be interested to hear what you both think about that and if you've had any positive experience with, like, formal programs. Yeah, and Elise, I'm I'm interested in that topic too and I'm not sure if you're at convocation this year but our new fellows committee made a recommendation to the RACGP to have a formal mentorship program for new fellows to develop and that's interesting because the, the college does have a, a relatively formal mentorship set up in the leadership program and the RACGP Rural Faculty has attempted a, a mentorship program in the past as well, which I participated in as a mentor. And I've never actually been formally mentored myself. But like you, I've had a lot of informal mentors along my career. And they have been both people who've been in general practice and people who haven't been in general practice. I've had people who have been mentors because I've aspired to be more like them and I've also had people who've been mentors because I've aspired to be less like them. And I've also had a lot of peer mentorship, you know, looking around at the the people at similar stages of training like yourselves and, and looking at what you guys do in, in your worlds and, and inspired by people at similar stages of their training. So the the concept of informal mentoring I think is really important and we tend to naturally do that in medicine anyway. 
the the way that I see that a formal mentorship thing could go is instead of trying to match people with mentors, having this kind of process whereby people learn how do I be a good mentor? What what things can I help people with? How do I put myself out there as a mentor? How do I make myself available? And vice versa for the mentee, you know, so how do I kind of approach someone and say, you know, I'd like you to be my mentor. Can I call you every now and again? Or can we keep in contact and talk about my work or work life, etc.? That's actually the bit that I find really difficult. The oh, hi, Ash, would you like to be my mentor? I'm just going to give you a call. Let's set up a time. I find that really awkward. So and awkward, yeah. So I must say I'm, I haven't really proceeded with that style, but then I sort of think some some other people in my life that are experienced GPs or experienced professionals, I find you sort of have that conversation, but it seems a bit less structured. Yeah a few different examples of people who are in my life that are like that and I you know when you first meet them you're like oh they're so fantastic they're such experts in their field I really want to talk to them I just want to listen to what they've got to say and then I find when you've actually got other opportunities you know whether it's you present a webinar together or you're in the same ALM at a conference on the small table together I think that's how some of those connections are made and then you can sort of exchange cards or numbers and then say, okay, let's try and cement this and make it a bit more formal. Yeah, I think that conversation is really difficult and it's it's not a very normal thing to kind of walk up to someone and say, hey, will you be my mentor? And I guess that's where I see a program might help people to kind of establish what they look for in a mentor and what they would like to be as as a mentor and how to have those conversations and it not to be awkward. You know, you don't have to walk up to someone and say, excuse me, I think that you're really, you know, awesome and I just want you to be my mentor. Like the kind of language that you might want to use is, I really admire how you do that and have you done this before? How did you get to the the spot that you're in? And you kind of open up that conversation and you go, do you mind if I kind of, you know, ask you now and again for advice if I need it? I agree. And I actually haven't had that conversation very many times, but I think it's a really important conversation to have. So actually, if you're wanting to approach someone to be a mentor and you've got expectations of what you're hoping the relationship will be to actually have the conversation that I really respect or admire what you want to do and I'm hoping to work with you closely in the future. Are you happy to mentor me through that? Is a very different thing to asking, do you want to catch up with coffee on Fridays and talk about dogs, which may still be something awesome that you really want to do, but you're asking something completely different of that person. I'd really like a mentor that I could just catch up with and talk about dogs. I think you have a whole Facebook group of that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. If anyone out there just wants to contact me. A really good point though that, you know, some mentors, the relationship is quite different and it, and it is a bit more of a friendship, although it may have a, a professional base. You know, one example would be, my medical educator at GP Synergy has now become one of my friends who's also one of my mentors. But, you know, I also know that if, I, if I'm if i at something with her socially, we can just sit back and have a chat about, I wouldn't say dogs. It's nice to have that good blend of 
of work and social life as well. Yeah, that's true. And, and you made me think about a mentor that I have who's who's been on the podcast before, which is Nicola Holmes. And I met Nicola when I was a student and I really was drawn to the way that she engaged with patients and her energy in a consult and how she was kind of able to really work with people in order to improve their well-being. And over the time that I've known her, we've moved from that student-doctor relationship into registrar-educator relationship into colleague relationship. And now we work next to each other a day a week and we often talk about work and life and you know, how that all works together and relationships and all that sort of thing. And we do clinical supervision together. But I think there's something slightly different about a a mentor that you have who's you have that relationship with because there's somebody that you identify with as as having a connection and something that you want to learn from and having a, a mentor where it's actually clearer that you can go to them specifically for advice when you're not naturally around them so once you have an established relationship with somebody how do you open up that conversation to say hey look I can see how you're on your practice and I'd love to learn more about you know starting my own practice or or learning from you how to establish those systems do you mind if I can get in contact with you at another time to, to chat about that because then you open up the doors for can I contact you when we're not actually running into each other for other reasons or for social reasons? I think you say it just like that, Ash, because that sounded pretty perfect. You just have that as your ringtone and ask everybody. You can just record what I said and then, like, play it. (laughs) Do a playback. (laughs) I've got really small apps. Please don't make me laugh. (laughs) Is that from your push-ups or something else? Some kind of reverse leg lift thing. Little abs I never knew I had. So, Annalise, do you want to chat a little bit about um, what kind of things that you look for in a mentor when you're kind of looking around? I must say a few qualities that I, I look for, uh, you know, someone who is is professional, someone who appears to have a good balance in their life, meaning they they may be workaholics but they still respect and understand when you know work they've had enough and they need to sort of switch off and do other things i think people who practice evidence based medicine and who are open minded to growth and change but I, I have to say the quality that i really appreciate the most would have to be honesty and, and that's being honest to me and saying, you know, I don't think your idea is going to work. And I think it's also really important that the, the other people in your life actually listen to what I've got to say as well. And some of the people that I've sort of developed connections with, no matter how busy they are, no matter how important they are, if they can make that time to say, how are you? How are things going? What have you got planned? What's coming up? Is there anything I can do to help you? You know, they're the type of people that I'm like, you know, they're they're a really good, they're a good egg and I'd like to sort of stay in touch with them. And I think it's also you don't have to talk to these people every day or even every month, but but when the need arises, you know that if you send them an email or or see them face-to-face, they'll generally try and be accommodating and assist you in any way that they can. 
I also find that the people who I like mentoring me and being involved possess qualities that I sort of wish I had more of and wish I was more like those people. I really like the point about honesty and I think that's really a wonderful trait to have as a general human being, let alone as a mentor. Is that a sixth sense that you're taking in about that person? How do you determine that quality other than through poor experiences? I think it's a reflective process. You know, I can remember when I first met Charlotte in first year, I thought, God, she's blunt. She's asking me these really direct questions and she wants an answer and she wants me to tell her the truth. And, you know, I can remember thinking at the time, why does she want to know that about me? What, like, how will that help her? But now I can reflect on it and go, no, she actually wanted that information to be able to help address my needs better or, you know, be of assistance to the broader community, the university community. And, you know, that's a quality that I've come to appreciate and uh, admire. And I suppose you can even think about when you've been on other placements, either, you know, as a student or as a registrar, that the communication style you may not like or sort of appreciate at the time, but when you develop and grow more skills, you sort of go, oh, I want to be a bit more like that or no, I I need to change the way I'm communicating and move away from that style. So, yeah, I think it's more of a reflective process in my case. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? And as I've been sitting here, listen to you talking about what qualities you've looked for in a mentor and and what you're seeking to gain from that relationship. And it sounds like you're trying to look at your own personal and professional growth and looking to people around you that have qualities that you would like to establish more of in yourself or establish in yourself if you don't feel that they're there already. And It's interesting to me in terms of when I reflect on some of the relationships that I've had in in a more formal sense, like supervisor, registrar or, you know, Ramus mentor and, and student or university lecturer and student where you couldn't actually pick who was going to be that person in your life. And sometimes the not being able to choose actually gives you the greatest lessons because you are opened up to something that you didn't even think that was something that was really important. You know, I remember a mentor of of mine through medical student years and onwards would spend a lot of time with patients not saying anything at all. And early on, I thought that that was really odd. (laughs) And now, and I could see over time how actually that actually was really useful. And then the more that I grew in in my own practice that I've been able to then use that skill when I needed to. And the so sometimes the people that you're put with or, you know, if you enrol in a program like the leadership program, which I understand I've spoken to a lot of the people who've been involved in that through the college, they've been teed up with a mentor and they've found that relationship really useful because it's allowed them to discover things, attributes, skills, directions that they didn't have the opportunity to match with with their own in their own circles and allow them to kind of think outside what was comfortable. That's a lovely point and I have to just concur about 
being matched with a mentor because I have a similar mentor who was a medical educator for me from GP training. And she wasn't the first medical educator I had or the second. I think she was the third or the fourth because I took so long to finish my training and training locations amalgamated. And so it wasn't actually until I was further into my training that I found someone who I was assigned to who I could actually go, yep, you're fantastic. I actually want to learn from you and be more like you. And so I think it's also right place, right time for the assigned mentors, as well as just being forced into a relationship, which may or may not be right for you. Yeah, and I guess that's where I see where a program can kind of help people go, how do you be a good mentor and how do you be a good mentee? And that may not mean that you tee up X person with Y across the state and you have formalised email meetings or phone meetings or dedicated time to catch up, but, you know, establishing how do you find a mentor, how do you find a mentee, what kinds of things do you do you look at, how do you... Um, establish that relationship of connection how do you be more involved so that you're contributing in a positive way rather than just doing tick box stuff and I think a program like that would have really helped me when I first was a new fellow because I did feel a little bit kind of like and I had people around me and I had mentors in my career that I had but really I noticed that once I joined the New South Wales faculty, there were so many different doctors in there that I was like, oh, great, you know, like I can see differences of how things are happening and how other people do it and it was kind of like a new light and that was something that, you know, those those people weren't in my, my direct circle and I think being able to establish through some sort of formal program allows those connections that aren't always in in your face. I think one of the one of the points I sort of take from that, and particularly from what Beck said, I, I do believe that it's like friendships. You know, someone will come into your life at a specific time for a specific purpose, and then once that moment's passed, then that friend or mentor may also go with that moment. I don't think that's something that I really understood and appreciated earlier in my training. And, you know, you sort of look at the different role models or mentors, say, in my life right now, and I think, I'd really like those people to hang around. I really want to maintain a connection with them. But as my career changes and I change as as an adult, the need for those people in my life may change and, you know, vice versa for them as well. I just sort of jotted down some of the perhaps current or influential mentors that I've had and I've actually got like eight on the list that has just sort of come up and I could probably make it nine or ten really. But one of the other people I've got on my list and I'm not sure if you really agree with with their inclusion is my own GP. Yeah, I find that interesting because... That's a very morphed role that you have. So are you then calling them a mentor as someone who you admire to be personally and professionally or is it still just purely the GP-patient relationship? I think it's more like an 
an observatory type role where I sort of, I, I observe things that they do in their job with me, their patient and go, that's a good idea. I'd like to try that. I really, I like the way she's engaged me with this or I, I like the technique that she's used to encourage follow-up or to get me to check back in with her. And I, I suppose it's it's more me observing the way she does things and thinking, oh, yeah, that's interesting, that's new, I'm going to try that, rather than, you know, I, I certainly don't go to her for career advice or other sort of professional matters, but as a GP, I aspire to be as good as she is. And that's, you know, be at the top of your game for sort of at least for 10 or 20 years, stay up to date, have a diverse range of patients that, you know, all sort of adore you for different reasons and and treat me with respect and, and a sense that, you know, ask me, what do you think about this? And, you know, I suppose I'm fortunate that I've had the same GP since before I did medicine, like for that 20 years. So, and I, I suppose I still had the same admiration for her when I was doing my first degree at university or when I was teaching, but that relationship has evolved since I've become a GP. But, you know, I'm not going to call her a mentor, but more someone that I look up to and sort of think, wow, I just... If I could be half as good as you, I'd be happy. I think she absolutely sounds like a mentor and a pretty awesome one. I think from here we might move into resource of the week unless you have any final thoughts or ideas about mentoring or... I suppose my final reflection for our little podcast would be that we all as GPs should be receptive to mentoring others, whether they, you know, whether they are GPs or GP registrars or perhaps they're even in another specialty or even another profession. I think as general specialist general practitioners, we have a lot that we can offer to other people and we've all got a, a pretty unique skill set. Like well, although we, we're all GPs, we're all really, really different and I'd like people to sort of consider being more involved in um, helping other people in their community just so that they could um, have have some inspirational people in their life. I think that's lovely and I really think that it's hard to step up and agree to be someone's mentor or to feel that you can take on that role but it's also really nice reflecting back to see that someone wants you to be their mentor and that they actually do look up and admire what you do and that's a really nice place to be at in your life and your career. So moving forward into resource of the week, I have a confession to make but my sisters will be quite horrified anyway is that I've only just signed up to Twitter recently. They're horrified because they don't think Twitter's particularly cool, but I actually have absolutely loved it over this past month. So I signed up just before GP18. And what I've really liked about it is actually that I can model it just to follow the people or the things that I'm interested in. 
if you haven't taken the plunge into Twitter or if, like me, you've been scared of it up until now, particularly at conference time, I'd say jump on board and have a play because it is actually lots of fun and the rabbit holes aren't quite as wide or deep well yet anyway as they are on other social media. Yeah, I must say I still haven't uh, succumbed to Twitter and if anything I'm I'm trying to um, manage my Facebook addiction. So I, I'll, I'm interested next time I see you, Becca, I'm, I'm going to ask for a, a little in-service on how to use Twitter because, to be honest, I, I think I have an account but I have no idea how to use it. I can't claim to be an expert but I can log on and show you some cool people to follow. I know that uh, some of my mentors are very prominent on Twitter. And so is our podcast at GP Podcasting. (laughs) Ash, why don't you tell us about your resource of the week? So my resource of the week is um, Family Drug Support Online. In one of the RACGP emails that came out in the last couple of weeks there was a whole suite of drug and alcohol resources and one of the websites that came out was this one which is www.fdsonline.org.au and it's uh, for people who have a partner, family, child, friend, loved one who is a drug or alcohol user and it's to provide support for that family member and some resources for that family member. That sounds pretty good. My resource for the week is actually off the RACGP GP learning site. And ironically, my boss at work had suggested that we all do some cultural awareness training. He said, oh, have you done any of the college cultural awareness training modules? And I said, oh, no, look, I, I actually haven't. I've, I've run cultural awareness training for many different organisations. But it's called An Introduction to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Cultural Awareness. And the main reason I'm suggesting it is because I, I think it's it's really good for all of your staff to sort of have a, a bit better of an understanding about how to get your patients to identify when they present to the practice, about normalising, asking questions, are you Aboriginal and or Torres Strait Islander, and, and really normalising that question. And I also found it really reflective for myself to sort of think about where have we come from in history and where are we going forward in general practice in regards to looking after our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander patients and working towards closing the gap. So it'll probably take you a whole day or you could do one module per day to get it done. But I highly recommend it for anyone, particularly if you um, didn't go to school or do your training in Australia. Awesome. Good chat. Thank you, girls. I had a wonderful evening. Thanks so much for coming along, Annalise. It was lovely to have you. Thanks, Annalise. No, thank you very much for inviting me and um, hopefully I'll see you around soon. I just wanted to do a quick shout-out at the end of the podcast to anybody who's listening who would feel inspired and want to come along and have a chat with us on the podcast about any one of our topics or a new topic. We'd love to hear from you and get involved. So you can email us at justagppodcasting at gmail.com. I'll see you too soon or later. Ciao. Bye-bye.